ママ今日はどっちへ行くの西に行こうと思うのあの辺はまだそんなに泣いてないから頑張ってねありがとうエンジ Dann freuen Sie mich, dass Sie sich nicht mehr erkennen werden. Wie das ist absolut pervers ist, sowas aus, aus Spaß anzugucken. Ich will noch nicht mehr warten. Oh, das ist so gut. Oh ja, boah, ich bin geil. Das war nicht quite in sync. Können wir es wieder machen mit ein bisschen mehr Effort, bitte? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Hours and hours of content. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that、That's、we cover. Patreon subscribers、uh, also get an honor shout out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over two years. There's something like 50 plus bonus episodes waiting for anyone who hasn't made the jump yet,、oh, yeah. um, as well as our now kind of semi regular bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre films, which we are、uh, in the、of. current state of things. Uh, we, we have a lot of time for them, but they <laughs>、yeah. are starting to release less and less of them, obviously. Yeah.、Uh, so we are going to run out of some, but if you are interested in、uh, you know, hearing us talk about any new release films, what did we talk about recently? We did like Eric Andre's Bad Trip. We did that terrible、yeah. Sundance horror film, The Lodge. The Lodge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to be talking about、uh, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods coming up soon, which、uh, I, I already saw on Netflix and which is very good. Yeah, we're covering、uh, Crazy World.、Uh, I can't、Crazy、remember、World. the guy's name. Ugandan.、Yeah. Uh, Nabwana Ijiji. Nice, yeah. <laughs> It was so, so entertaining. Yeah, very excited to talk about、uh, some Ugandan action, homemade action cinema, which、oh, is、yeah. a lot of fun. So, if you want、uh, any of those bonus episodes or any of those bonus、uh, transmission shows that we do,、uh, patreon.com slash Sleezoids Podcast. And speaking of which, we did have、uh, three people make the jump this month. Awesome.、Uh, or I guess this week.、Uh, we had the Bi- Bicameral Productions, is one. We had、uh, Ian Keyes and Malcolm Barnes. So, thanks cool, so much thanks, to guys. you guys for signing up.、Uh, hope you guys are enjoying all of those bonus episodes. Uh, that's the one plug for the week.、Uh, the other plug for the week, as always, is、um, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts and I see the stats, I know a lot of you are,、uh, scroll down to the very bottom while you're listening to this right now and give us a good old rating and review. Helps us climb the ranks over on iTunes and、uh, helps us find new listeners that way as well. Yes, please.、Uh, we appreciate that.、Uh, anyway, those are the plugs for the week. As always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and joining me is my co host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys, free listeners, would have heard from us, and、uh, we would have been talking about the Coen brothers, Barton Fink from 1991, as well as Robert Benton's Bad Company from 1972. Two films that were、um, two、uh, favorite films by our guest who joined us, writer and director Josh Trank. Of、yeah. uh, Chronicle and Fantastic Four, and more recently、uh, Capone with Tom Hardy. He brought those two films on because they are two of his personal favorite films, and also they both、uh, served as inspiration、uh, because of that, obviously, on his new film Capone.、Um, so we had a lot of fun talking about that.、Uh, 
Um, I'm just very glad that somewhere in the stratosphere is uh, Josh Trank on our podcast saying fuck Max Landis at one point. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Time. <laughs> oh, um, man. Yeah, it's, it's I'm very proud of our show. <laughs> yeah. So we, you know, sometimes we get to do fun things on this show like that. So we, we had a great time talking with um, Josh Trank. Um, and then uh, last week for the bonus episode, uh, we did uh, <laughs> we took a little bit of a pivot and kind of preparing ourselves for today's episode. We wanted to get into the mode of more, a little bit more transgressive cinema. Um, so we talked about Roger Watkins's uh, last house on a dead end street from uh, 1977, but actually shot around 1971, 1972, um, which features a live dismemberment uh, where the <laughs> uh, they, they use smelling salts on the woman who is being dismembered to keep her as awake as possible. And it's basically a surreal manifesto on screen violence by Roger Watkins, and it has a great uh, bit where he gets to yell into the camera that he's the fucking director and you, yeah. you're watching his movie he's and he's like, in control. Just keep looking at all this crazy shit. Yeah, so if, if, if you like uh, sort of like really cheap, low-budget horror and uh, I guess that movie also started about as a Manson biopic at one point. Uh, <laughs> I believe that's, it. That's, that's the film for you. But then we also talked about Donald Camel's White of the Eye alongside of it, which is a little bit more Very um, sad and personal and strange film. It's basically an American giallo film that just goes yeah. like full insanity with the depth of its uh, serial killer character in the last like 30 minutes uh and uh, i think we ended up having like a really good chat about that one especially how it relates to the um the filmmaker's um headspace and eventual uh suicide just a couple of years after making the film yeah um um Very so either way th- not the easiest episode to listen to but if that <laughs> no. episode appeals to it you kind of blew all, my mind <laughs> Uh, that was that was last week's um, bonus episode. Uh, again, patreon.com slash podcast for that one. Uh, but this week, uh, continuing in the realm of, of, of kind of uh, disgusting, uh, uh, transgressive, low-budget cinema, we have a uh, special guest, uh, Sam Botrajan, joining us, um, who uh, I've followed on Twitter for a very long time. She is a sometimes shit poster, sometimes film writer, sometimes combination of the two in, <laughs> in a lot of fun ways. Uh, but Sam, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing so good. I'm happy to be here. How are you guys doing? <laughs> good. Thanks for coming on. Doing as well as we can. Once again, calling in from the quarantine zone. We've been yeah. doing this for months. I uh, haven't seen Jamie in months. I'm getting getting a little sad about it. We used to watch uh, Blu-rays over here uh, when we were watching some of the films sometimes. So, but we're we're pushing through, and we're pushing through especially by watching a bunch of things that melt our brains, which you were a big help in this week. Oh yeah, very <laughs> big help. So, uh, so Sam, uh, as it goes, the guests bring on uh, two films of of choice. So, which two films have you uh, brought with you this week, and why did they pair together? Hi, so this week I have brought with me uh, two films. Uh, one is Necromantic 2 by Jorg Butgereit, uh, which is about a uh, woman who, to, who basically wa- wants to have sex with and falls in love with a corpse, uh, and then also tries to balance that with a relationship with a human man. And who is, you know, very fully alive. And then (laughs) 
The other film by Hisayasu Sato is Splatter Naked Blood. That one's 1996. And that one is about a scientist who uh, tampers with his mother's experiment to give three women a drug that turns pain into pleasure. And the two, uh, besides forming sort of a nice predominantly green, predominantly red sort of contrast, uh, sort of fall under the umbrella of the gnarliest corner of what I like to think of as films about sexual immolation, basically where desire becomes a sacrifice within yourself to sort of change your entire body because of some all-consuming longing made physical. There you go. I mean, I, I definitely see it for sure. <laughs> um, that's a better introduction than I expected. So we are going to, I think, just jump straight into it. Uh, we are going to start off here with the slightly more popular of, of the two. We are going to start with uh, Necromantic 2 and maybe maybe a brief digression into the original <laughs> Necromantic for anyone who's uh, maybe unfamiliar with these ones. <laughs> We are talking Necromantic 2, the 1991 uh, German horror film directed by Jörg um, Butgeret, um, and is a sequel to his 1987 uh, debut film, Necromantic. Both films uh, take on, uh, as you can probably tell by the title, necrophilia as their subject, but then sort of apply this <laughs> very um, open, controversial uh kind of gore element to it that is a little bit inspired by Fulci, but also doesn't quite have the uh, surrealist element that I find in in Fulci or that kind of like metaphysical um, qual- quality. It, it takes on a more direct bodily and psychological point yeah. of view. Um, which is which is interesting, and I and I, I really uh, because we were jumping straight into a sequel, I obviously had to go back and 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 watch the first film. But let's just say I was not prepared for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, don't the, don't eat food during these films that we're about to discuss. It's I think, and in fact, if you try, it's impossible. So yeah, Jamie did try. I did try <laughs> all with all three movies. I tried and uh, I I failed miserably. And usually I'm okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm starting to get used to all the just craziness from, that comes from doing this show. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, we still get those curveballs. And this is definitely one of those weeks. <laughs> Can I tell you how proud I am that I made you guys a little queasy? Like, yeah. with my choices? You it makes be, yeah. me so proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, That's I what mean, we're it, looking it, for. It, 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 it takes a lot. We're pretty desensitized to a lot of the stuff that we've seen. But there were definitely moments in... <laughs> both of these films um 
that 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 got to me and 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 first among them in in the first necromantic film i was a little bit more prepared by the time i got to the second one yeah, um, yeah. even though it also still had some shocking moments in it and some and i mean especially the bathtub um scene and in, how like in, in that one just goes on forever how slow and methodic especially the second one is like it shows it shows everything from like her digging up the body like with every detail uh, you know, to taking it into the apartment, to unwrapping it, to to, to all of it. You know, it, it's a uh, so it's tender. very focused on on the <laughs> like the procedure of of getting the body and then having sweet sweet love with it. <laughs> yeah, it that's is the, sweet. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that was that is. was that was one the thing I was filmed. going to say about both of these is that um, as sort of indicated by um, the the music. Um, by uh, Herman Cope in in both of these films, um, they they both do kind of take on a genuinely romantic angle. I think more the second one um, seems to be that the the primary focus of it is actually just a person trying to balance like a real life romantic relationship, which even has like these very sort of like um, cute little date scenes and, and, and things yeah. like that. It seems like um, the first one, it actually like the couple seems to only have happiness when they have sex with the body in the one scene. And then everything else, it seems like their relationship just kind of decays. Whereas this one is like, it's almost like she's trying to find a, a, a love that isn't a dead body, but she realizes that she really can't, I guess, something along those lines. Yeah, well, and, and also I would say, too, that the first one, the character being a street sweeper is kind of important, too, that there right. is, like, actual, like, arguments about, like, money in, in that film. There Absolutely. is a little bit of a of a um, kind of working class angle to the guy being a street sweeper, and, and it's funny that they also connected that's how he gets... Um, the bodies is because he's a street sweeper um, who has to like sort of like clean up the garbage on the street. Sometimes that involves like bodies that get into car accidents, for example, which is how they they find a body and then they take the bodies back to their apartment and they use them as sort of like sex toys, pretty much. And when they when they put like the steel rod to make um, the penis inside the corpse so that it was erect, and then they started putting a condom over it, you kind of get like where it's going at a certain point. Yeah. <laughs> but but the score and like the filmmaking uh weirdly enough is actually sort of romantic um while it's you know while we're seeing these like repulsive images and and, and textures um yeah. and um i will say that uh i thought uh one of our patrons kai uh Peregnon, had a great write-up about about the first film where he says that uh yorg makes uh subtle swipes at sort of like bougie morality as we watch these like working class people forced to toil for nothing to the point where they seem to internalize the condescension until they find pleasure in like the literal concept of decay, um, which was something that, that he wrote about the film that kind of stu- stuck out to me and which obviously yeah, becomes very beautiful. literalized in people like wanting to fuck and romantically be involved with, with rotting flesh. Um, so like that, it definitely seems to be a little bit of an angle of the first one. And then the second one moves into taking that romance even a step, step further um, and kind of getting us more into the POV um, because like, the, I, I guess it's just weird because the first one has like, it does have the POV element of a, um, you know, someone who is into necrophilia. But, like, there's something sort of destructive and a little bit sad by the end of the film. Yeah. Um, especially as the guy is 
uh, gutting himself, and uh, he's so turned on by it that oh. he, he he's also ejaculating all over himself. Yeah, and then, um, and then ejaculating blood. blood. <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I didn't think. I thought the only movie that had that was uh, Antichrist, but apparently. Uh, no, Lars stole there, it. There's more. Yeah, Lars stole it. I couldn't believe it. Lars like, stole oh my most God. things. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's what I'm coming to find out watching this show, is that all the people that I respect today have are basically just stealing all the underground craziness that happened in the 70s and 80s. So I have like an immense amount of perverse affection for Lars, specifically in Infomaniac, for very similar reasons for the two films uh, today. But... Yeah, he's a dirty little bastard thief. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he would love to hear you say that too. <laughs> I'm, I am sure he would. Um, yeah, I love that. That is the opening for Necromantic Two. Yeah. Uh, so, so Necromantic Two has two things in the opening. First, it opens with a Ted Bundy quote, which is sort of a misleadingly edgelord kind of choice. Yeah. Uh, but I think it does work. So it's some Ted Bunny quote, like, I want to master life and death, which, yeah. I don't know, take it or leave it, really. But I think what's very um, valuable about that is it's sort of examining Ted Bundy not as some sort of perverse serial killer at the center of... Um, some sort of massive true crime sensationalist narrative, but a figure for young girls, I think, because Mm. no, like the people who loved Ted Bundy were impressionable young girls. And I think it sort of sets that up for Necromantic 2 when you cut from uh, the scene that's also in the first Necromantic where you have sort of the guy, uh, Rob, uh, gizzing and cutting himself open, right? And it, like, the the cum turns into blood in, like, this really wonderfully angled shot. Um, and it's just, like, so... It's so... It's, sho- it's probably the most shocking violence in the whole film, which is funny because it doesn't even come from that film uh, yep. originally. Uh, and then it shifts into something much more tender and much sweeter. Yeah. Um which I think is sort of the key to why I love this film. Mm. Um, So it starts with her, this woman who you don't even really see at first. She's sort of, this whole opening passage is almost shot in these insert shots or point of view shots. And it feels very beautiful. You can feel the heat outside. You can feel the dirt. There are all these shots of like little bugs in the ground. And it's, it's like, it's almost tunnel vision in how blindingly narrow her focus is and how present the camera is in the experience of what's happening. And what's happening is she's digging up this dead body and bringing it home. Um, 
Yeah, and and notably also it's the dead body of Rob, who is the guy who did the uh, gutting ejaculation move in the opening credits, which is I think why they show it because Rob yeah. then became a bit of a tabloid sensation as a necrophiliac who who killed himself, and everyone found out what what they were doing in his in his apartment. Um, and they even have shots of like the tabloid headlines that the um, main girl, I think her name is Monica here, that she keeps um, in in her place as well. So this is uh, it, presumably, I think they're setting up that that's how she heard about him. And it, 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 it's pl- unclear. It's unclear whether she had these feelings herself and were exploring them already before Rob, or she was slightly inspired by reading about Rob or it's it's left kind of unclear but it's very clear that she read about Rob and has decided to exhume his body and because he was into necrophilia she's just like well clearly this is almost it's almost like she's seeking a consensual necrophilia experience because here's a guy who was into it so she's like now I can bring him home and he can continue what he liked to do with me (laughs) you think that's also kind of a take on uh just with that opening uh, Ted Bundy line. Uh, he was also known to kind of manipulate the media as well. Do you think that that might be kind of a play? Could be on something that? there for sure. Yeah, I like that as, idea. Uh, yeah, because I knew mm-hmm. I, I knew that he had that whole thing where he was trying to be the charming man throughout the media, right? So, and that's kind of how he he uh, manipulated the the young youth. So, um, yeah, I thought that might be mm-hmm. a little pl- a take on it. De- definitely to go from a Ted Bundy quote to tabloid headlines in your first like five minutes right. of your film definitely could be something there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, 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 but very quickly it's her exhuming the body and then basically trying to, um, fulfill and satisfy her desires of necrophilia with, with the body. And, and it's, it's, it's so funny because like the scenes as Sam has kind of pointed out, they, in general, I would say they are typically kind of filmed with a little bit of, like romantic, but also just like a little bit of sensitivity for her. And also there's kind of a lightness to it, but then you're literally looking at images of her, like wiping a slimy rotting corpse. And that's Um, the thing too, is that they don't try to make it, you know, appealing in any way when it comes to the, the actual like imagery. Uh, It's, it's the music and the way the camera flows and the way that the, the edits go that makes it feel romantic and like you're you're kind of like you know right like someone falling in love and all that kind of stuff but then then you're you are watching like when she touches the face like like the 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 goo just stretches (laughs) you know and it's and it's everything becomes connected and it's just oh my god it's this wonderful disgusting in that way yeah it is this wonderfully uh crafted gore where it almost feels like a clay sculpture or something where it feels so tender and they make the goo and stuff. The gore feels alive, not like it's meant to be squirting blood. It's not meant to have a direction, but sort of like it's pulsing. Like it has a life to itself because it's been so like, obviously by the visual effects team for the film has been so tenderly created. Uh, And I think what I love so much about Necromantic 2 is that it is so fully open and vulnerable with Monica. Uh, And Monica as an actress, um, she's only listed on like IMDb and stuff as Monica M. Her only credits are Necromantic and Necromantic 2. And I I don't know what else she's been (laughs) in, which is, I think is very interesting to sort of have this be. That's an awesome resume. Yeah, right? 
Like I would. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, 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 I read briefly that um, the reason that she was picked by by Yorg was because um, that uh, she was a really big fan of uh, Lucio Fulci films, and that I think he met her going to like some sort of revival screening at a movie theater. And she was like, there, it's very interesting that there is, like, you know, a, a woman very pr- proudly here watching Fulci films with me. So basically just a, a weirdo, gross director being like, dang, here's the one woman who likes the same things as me and would probably be interested in making the films I'm interested in making yeah. because they're basically just as gross. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And, okay, not to, like, in coming to why these films mean a lot to me, something like Necromantic 2... Uh, I don't know, I watched it as a teenager in high school and stuff. And I sort of, I grew up on all of these very gnarly combinations of pornography and gore, right? Where I grew up on like, um, She Killed in Ecstasy and Fascination and uh, Blood Feast and all of these films that, sort of revel in, and, and even uh, stuff by John Waters to some extent, or um, Jack mm-hmm. Smith or Kenneth Anger, the list goes on, where they are sort of reveling in gore as a way to validate and express emotions and desires with tenderness. You know, they are not correct, and this is a world, you know, that is like, it's just like sleazy dirtbag shit, right? Like, I was not growing up on sort of the, like, nice, gentle Wattpad era. Uh, Like, I didn't grow up in that. Like, that's not what speaks to me. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but I grew up in this gnarly stuff, this stuff that made bodies that were, you know, on their surface gross feel alive and feel viable. And I don't know, as a Mm -hmm. transsexual woman, I... In like I really connected with that even before I was out. I connected with the idea that your desires as they related to your body were seen as wrong, but were also real and valid. I don't know. That's what I right. sort of in this. That's definitely the the yeah. experience of like spending time with Monica in in this film. Is that like initially I feel like obviously because of the <laughs> the angle of taking on necrophilia which is something that you know visually can just repulse people so so easily viscerally on on screen um but then for Yorg to just take it very seriously like that's the one thing i think that uh, i latched onto the most watching Yorg's films is that i i think he does get kind of accused a lot of being kind of just like someone who's just out to sort of shock people and i could see why especially with something like the end of the first uh necromantic for example i could see why he kind of has that reputation um but there there's there was something to this one where you can just tell that they're taking monica as a character and what and and her desire to just find some sort of satisfaction in life like quite seriously like there are moments in this where you know she's trying to have a normal relationship and she's uh at, at one point uh at, she actually completely ditches Rob's body 
um, in order to try and be like, I'm going to pursue a relationship with this, this living normal man, um, who also happens to be a, uh, he, he works as a, a porn dubber in post-production, making all the absolutely <laughs> awful sounds you might've heard in the movie theaters. And, and he doesn't in, have in enough the passion, you know? No. They're, they're just like, dude, you gotta, you gotta sound like you're enjoying yourself a little bit, a little bit more. <laughs> and I, I thought, honestly, the way that that was going and the way that it kept, um, as the relationship was kind of growing and all that, it would cut back to him uh, doing the, the ADR for porn and he would get better at it. And I honestly thought that the, that the movie was going to go into this kind of like a, like blowout angle in, in a sense, uh, not necessarily <laughs> like someone recording it, but, but you know, I thought maybe like they, he would discover that he also, it was, it, it was going to connect to the, the then, production of yeah, porn. And then he'd go into the ADR booth and just fucking kill it. Thinking about a dead body or something like that. <laughs> uh, and it, I mean, in a way it almost happens because as they, as they grow with their relationship, he, uh, he, he does go into the ADR room and, and, and give a better, a better performance. But unfortunately it does lead to, uh, his ultimate demise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, I, I would just say that there's there's something so interesting about taking Monica's desires seriously to the point where, like, you are actually kind of sad when they have their first sex scene and you can tell that, you know, she didn't really have a great time because yeah, it's not yeah. particularly what she's interested in. And, and um, she kind of chooses him a little bit because he is slightly interested, I guess, in being openly sexual and a little bit maybe more... Uh, might be open to some of the things that that she feels, like but then, hanging you know, him upside she, down and naked and taking photos. taking yeah taking taking photos you of know. him in, in, in ways <laughs> that make him look like a corpse, uh, and also maybe having movie nights where they watch a seal dissection <sighs> video. Yeah, and she tells him uh, not to move during sex because she wants to imagine that he's a dead body, that kind of stuff. You know. Yeah, and what was the great line that he gets? Uh, it's totally perverse to watch this stuff for fun. Yeah, is what, is yeah. What he says that was her. my review of the film. Basically, <laughs> I'm like, that's what, that's how I feel whenever I watch these. But you know what? I'm enjoying the hell out of it. I I really <laughs> love how many times there are like relationship compromises in this film that I think is really yes. smart. Like even the mm. scene where uh, Mark and Monica meet, like. He's Mark's supposed to be meeting someone else at the movie theater. Like he is not supposed to be right. like they see each other, um, and then they go on this wonderful carnival date. Which can I digress about the carnival date because I love it. Yeah, for uh, sure. I love this like scene of witnessing this world, right? Where you know, and I'll get later on to digression in a digression to the sort of political ramifications <laughs> of the film, but. There is this incredibly gorgeous, tender uh, scene where they wander around this carnival and it is just a bunch of different shots of um, like skulls and animatronics and fake rock and all of this stuff that is meant to symbolize death but has instead been corrupted um, and malfunctions, right? Where you have just been confronted with this um, very real looking, very live vision of what death is. And it is, it is physical. It has weight. You can, you can sit next to it. You can wrap your arm around it. You can fuck it. Um, but then to be confronted with something that is 
posited in a palatable way for your pleasure and is built for your pleasure, but you can't really interact with it um, in any sort of meaningful way. It is sort of a facade of a normal relationship. And it's filmed in the same way as, say, when she's going to dig up the body, where it is all of these uh, insert shots and point of view shots, but it doesn't have the same feeling. And I think that is a, despite having a similar technique, and I think that is an interesting uh, way to establish sort of a boredom with what is conventionally considered an acceptable uh, romantic and societal relationship to death. Oh, definitely. Um, And then, I mean, obviously the uh, porn theater is great because this (laughs) movie has a lot of interaction with porn uh because porn you know at least in i i disagree i think porn is amazing and i think uh porn performers and porn creators are some of the most imaginative and brilliant people in the world uh but i do think in this film it's sort of considered to be just like about what you're seeing it's about what you're hearing it's not about how you see it and how you hear it uh in the context of necromantic 2 which is put in uh direct contrast with uh what you see when monica is like romantically involved with rob's corpse which i think is doubly funny because um i was reading and the uh film there's like uh there's the parody of uh my dinner with Andre that crops up at a couple points. <laughs> yeah, they, they they go to the art yeah. film uh, together, and it's just like two people in black and white sitting at a table having the most boring conversation they could possibly be having, and 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 he makes you watch it. He like basically films a parody of it, and then just makes you sit there and watch it. Isn't it also uh, and- odd? Like they're talking about birds that are going extinct while just eating eggs. Like I thought yeah, like it, like it, like it's it's just nonsense. Like they, like it seems like he's he's taken a bit of the piss out of them a little yeah. bit, and, yeah. and at the same time, he cuts to that guy hitting his egg to then Mark cooking eggs for Monica in the apartment right afterward. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so it it definitely connects to like there's a, something genuinely sort of like sweet and innocent happening between the two it's just one of them also has some corpses in the closet uh like literally and and monica um i i like sam that you brought up the compromise um the relationship compromises because that was actually one of the most the scenes that i i was the most taken with is the one where she compromises and decides that she can't have rob's whole body in the apartment because Mark's going to be staying in the apartment now and like hanging out and, you know, having sex. And so she, but she's she, got to keep parts of him, of course. Yeah. So, so she, she goes over to the bathtub and takes a hacksaw and, uh, a just starts cutting scene. into the corpse. And it's just five to 10 minutes of her just literally cutting into Rob's corpse, yeah. um, with this very gory makeup, uh, decapitating him because she wants to take the head, but then also taking out, in what is one of the best gags I've ever seen that had me howling. She takes out a tiny hacksaw, which I was like, do they even sell tiny hacksaws? I was like, I didn't know this was a thing. It's like Looney Tunes. Takes out the smallest hacksaw. Yeah, yeah, the smallest hacksaw you've ever seen and uses it on his his penis. Uh, So she takes the penis, she takes the head, because those are the two things that she she wants to keep the most from his body. And this scene also, too, reminded me, actually, 
of um, Abel Ferreira's Miss 45 when she tries to cut the body into pieces of her rapist and oh, stuff yeah. them down um, the drain. And then there's the image in that film that we talked about when we covered that film about like the flesh regurgitating out of the drain and popping back up because she can't quite get rid of it. Right. Um, like that, that stain is still there. I love Miss 45 and so much. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. The Damn, fact that this had me thinking about Miss 45 is definitely uh, praise from, from she, me. She also, um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, when she rips off the head or cuts off the head, she starts to also like just go into the neck and play with the blood and stuff. Like she's oh, once again, yeah. it's like she's constantly intrigued and falling in love more and more with with death and and gore and and all that. It's such a yeah that tender and imaginative moment to sort of consider. You know, even in tra- traditional quote unquote um, sex scenes, you don't necessarily get all of the intimacies of how people like play with their hair or touch or feel one another. There's nothing that specific. And then here in this situation that is, you know, I don't know, I don't encounter necrophilia a lot in the movies I watch, despite (laughs) this, right? And you get this very specific way that she is caressing him. It feels very intimate. It feels very much like something that she is sharing with, you know, this dead corpse. And I think... That the the scene in the bathtub is probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. I think it is, it is hilarious. Like it's it's genuinely funny, um, without being condescending. And I I think the film is not often funny, even though it is often um, ridiculous. Um, but yeah. that yeah, like 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 seal dissection movie night is also d- definitely a genuine game. yeah, and like um, yeah, like they're they're watching like the most detailed dissection of a seal just being ripped apart, and then they'll cut to them like just casually eating pizza and shit, like it's like it's no <laughs> like it's just a completely normal thing, um, and it's gross just to uh, also, watch also like that her... and food. It's it's disgusting. Yeah, <laughs> well, and also uh, another way that it connects to food is also uh, the morning after they have sex for the first time. Um, and she was clearly left sort of like dissatisfied and Rob yeah. gets up and goes to the fridge to go and grab some breakfast and he pulls out a plate that has Rob's rotting genitals on it from the fridge and he looks at it like three or four times. He's like, hmm, is this? Yeah, all right. And then he starts going to all his friends being like, I think the girl that I'm seeing is like into some 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 strange things she might be perverse and i love that they all laugh at him and they were like dude you dub porn movies and you're calling someone yeah. like like someone perverse and he's like i don't i don't think you fully <laughs> this is understand a different kind <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh and then and then though um i think what is my personal favorite scene is is right after that is when she is so dissatisfied, um, she goes to what I what I guess is what we're supposed to interpret as her job, but there's not a lot much else said about it. But she goes to a club, um, and she starts singing this very romantic sort of like piano ballad songs. Um, and this is the part where I was the most impressed by the filmmaking, I think, because I, I feel like Jorg, despite having a lot of um you know he, he he does have some interesting shot choices there are moments where i feel like this could go into the next realm of something more psychological something a little bit more um intimate via a, a form of surrealism almost like like some of the ways that 
the filmmakers that he likes, like someone like like Fulci, he cites a lot as someone who is a huge inspiration, which is understandable based on the the gore factor alone, and also how you talked about gore as its own form of artistry. Because when we did our Fulci episode, we talked about how Fulci was a painter, and that he actually brought his uh, painting background into his gore, and he saw it as another form of you know sort of like creating textures and creating colors and and something beautiful even though it is disgusting to look at i would die for yeah so and and the closest i think that this got to me was the scene where she's singing because she's singing in this beautiful like dress next to a beautiful piano and like this nice club and then it's interspliced um and superimposed with images of the rotting corpses like of of skulls and of body parts and um you can tell that this is like the most where the romantic angle and romantic style of the film uh is directly confronted by what her fantasies are what she is romantic about and it was the first time i felt like in this film i really felt where i was like just how um, sort of sweet she was and how important it was to her and how almost, I, I wouldn't say that she would prefer her, you know, to maybe have normal desires, but she definitely is someone who is sort of being um, forced to not be able to express them. So here she is expressing them in a way that is acceptable, singing a romantic song in a dress next to a piano. Yeah. And But really her brain and her thoughts and her feelings are on these just absolutely disgusting textures. And I felt like that was the most sort of like cinematically interesting way that Jorg connects those ideas um, together. And I was actually sort of moved by that scene. That scene is wonderful. I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, Because that scene to me sort of speaks to how people allow desires from more marginalized people to sort of express themselves in more, uh, I guess, anonymous art or more uh, fetishized or objectified art or tokenized, I should say. And then also on the flip side, how, uh, say, queer people, for example, will like repurpose or reclaim uh, various artists or, say, like pop singers or uh, campy, uh, ridiculous garbage sleaze about a necrophile uh from germany uh as something that speaks to their desires in a way that is not allowed to be explicated there was some ridiculous tweet that went around months ago which feels like years ago uh before even the pandemic started where i was talking about how it's like we don't need any more use for queer subtext i just want to see two girls kiss. And I was just like, I like to me, queer subtext is so much a part of the experience of being queer. So much a part of the history of being queer. Uh, uh, Because to me, when you are um, seeing like, I don't know when I watch something like Venom, Yeah, I'm going to bring up Venom. Uh, (laughs) And you see Tom Hardy feel like a loser in a man's body and then morph into this, like, gigantic, horny, 
angry piece of shit beast who is also a loser. Uh, that to me speaks to queerness and speaks to my experience before transitioning and sort of hating my body and hating my transness more than say, I mean, bad example, but like Lucas don't girl, right. Um, that very ill-conceived right. can film, uh, and necromantic sort of gets at the heart of like, why not? It's not just that we reclaim things. It's not just that we take these romantic love ballads and make them about, make them about dead bodies. We need that sort of level of, uh, removal. We need that level of secrecy. We need to keep things coded or at least maybe not need, but we want to keep things coded because that speaks to how we had to exist. That speaks to how right. we like intuitively responded to the world. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool that that comes through here in a context that is applicable to queerness without being an explicitly queer work. Right. Like there, yeah. there are, there are, there are universal feelings that are expressed through Monica in this way, even whether, because <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Is, 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 is your queer? I don't know. I, pr- I don't think so. I, mm. but I, but I sure have claimed this. This is. Oh yeah. Ugh. Well, no, and I can, and I, and I, I could, I could see it too, just because like, like Monica's sort of like, like the, the way that we're made to feel for her in this film is, is sort of, I guess, a context where someone like Jorg might be able to understand uh, the experiences of, of others, even if it is a very uh, graphic context for it. Uh, and I, I, again, I don't know how, uh, I haven't explored Jorg enough. I do need to check out more of his, his films, especially. Uh, that, uh, people keep recommending The Death King yeah, that's uh, to me as, as like the next one to to check out, but I, I definitely want to become a little bit more familiar because I feel like I would uh, like, because I, I, I do like both of these films, but I feel like I would like them more if I just kind of knew a little bit more about uh, yeah. some of the things that he's trying to uh, get at, especially with regard to the ger- German history angle of it too, because there are elements in this about like the reunification after the fall of the Berlin Wall and sort of like Germany being split and there's a little bit of class elements to it. There's a little bit of um, gender elements to it. And I would just be very curious to, uh, you know, have a better understanding of the history and even some of the cinematic history that he's engaged with. Because I saw people even like reclaimed him as like a bit of a uh, follow-up to people like um, Sieberberg and, and Fassbinder and other like well-known sort of canonized German, He's extremely in um, conversation filmmakers. with someone like Fassbinder, which, I mean, sorry, did um, did you have something else to say? Okay. No, no, keep going. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think, so going off my last point, you know how I wax poetic about how this is a movie that speaks a lot to my queerness. I don't think that's intentional at all. I think all of that is sort of, positioned actually in the context of the reunification of Germany. Uh, So between 1987, uh, when the first Necromantic came out, and 1991, what big thing happened in the exact location that these films took place? The fall of the Berlin Wall. So you have this film that's taking place right in Berlin, right after the reunification of Germany. And you have uh, 
Monica is living in East Berlin, which is sort of the part of Berlin that was uh, struggling financially a little bit more. And then you have Mark and all of the socially acceptable stuff existing in West Berlin. And you're getting Mm. all... Germany at that time was sort of... It was not confronting its history, which, you know, is still marked in all of its physicality, in the body, in the rotting corpse of East Berlin, in the rotting corpse of Germany, right? (laughs) You still have the remnants of World War II, you still have the remnants of occupation, and it it is all crumbling, it is all, like, and you're trying, they're trying to build it up, they're trying to cover it up, they're trying to not acknowledge what's going on what had happened they're you know they're trying to bury it mm-hmm. no pun intended yeah this is a this is a huge subject of of sort of like german genre yeah. cinema just in general because we we actually talked about it i don't know if you saw it last year but we had it on our honorable mentions for genre movies of 2019 um Fa- fatty akins uh the golden glove i did not see the golden oh, glove which, yeah. um, which was, uh, he's, was he's a Tur- Turkish filmmaker who made a 1970s German serial killer film, Very sort of gross. in the vein of like angst or um, I guess it would also be uh, like uh, Henry portrait of a serial okay. killer yeah, kind of deal. You're just kind of with the, with the killer the entire time going through all of the kills in extreme oh. detail and how he covers all the bodies and, and how he's like kind of surrounded by, you know, like economic decay and, and just people kind of, getting sick and dying themselves because of their uh, poor living circumstances. It's, it's, yeah. Very well, and, and, and it, it also shows dark. how he would be uh, like, how he would be targeting people like prostitutes because of, you know, right, their, right. their being part of his low income community and like hanging out around the bars that he hangs out. And he's a bit of a, bit of a weirdo in that way. Um, but, but also the thing that stood out the most was something sort of similar in the visual thematics of the film was that he literally stuffs the corpses in the walls of his apartment yeah, and cool. they literally start to rot and smell and like come through the walls. And like, there yeah. is definitely a, a sense of like wrestling with sort of like a nation's corpses that are still in the closet and that they haven't properly dealt with. And then all of a sudden, you know, everyone eventually someone calls the the cops on on the smell in his house uh and that's how they eventually discover all of these different corpses that are there that so really, I, I, watching that really cool. watching that i was reminded of this as well so very clearly that um he was pulling that i think a little bit from from jorg as well this is just a uh, something Germans are thinking about when it comes to yeah. making uh, violent films is their their own history of violence and and lack of sort of um, dealing with yeah. it. Yeah, and I think sort of the tenderness towards Monica in the film, uh, she's not being blamed for her, uh, you know, perverse obsessions, right? She's not, this is something that she is saddled mm-hmm. with. This is something that, as a community that acknowledges it and yeah she, she she's really the whole film is really just her doing her best to like sort of satisfy these desires without like you know taking them to you know uh, a certain extreme yeah. like at, at, she, she's actually trying 
to yeah. kind of, as, as you pointed out, to compromise with sort of uh, Mark, who is more of the, uh, I guess, the, the accepted society. So she's trying is- to compromise with it, but it but it doesn't. It won't compromise back with her. Mark won't sit back and enjoy taking the photos. He won't enjoy watching the films. He won't uh, the- sort of like make, make a clear effort for it, which is eventually what leads to her, uh, while having sex with him, uh, chopping his head off and replacing it with Rob's head is right. very vivid, gruesome detail. And the most gross one I think is, well, and maybe not gross, but like kind of inventive, uh, it's the one where she, she ties the little tiny rope around his penis so that the blood flow won't leave it as his head is just shooting blood or his neck is just shooting blood everywhere so that it will, <laughs> his, so that, yeah, so that his penis will stay erect and have blood flow going through it. She ties a little rope around it, and then she puts Rob's head there, and, and she the, has the best sex of her entire life. Yeah, looking at Rob's head and the way that, on uh, Mark's body. The way that I read it too was, um, like what we were saying, like the the compromises. It did feel like she was very much trying to do what maybe she felt was, or or what she felt society thought was norm the norm and all that and of course i mean it is but uh but you know the, it felt like she in was this trying particular to context it, right right it, it felt like she was trying to kind of um fight off the, those those urges that she knew she had and then at, at at a certain point she just she just couldn't anymore it didn't feel like as premeditated as it might appear to, to me anyway it felt like she got to a point where her natural uh, feelings just just you know took over and and she was like this is it I just I'm not going to be satisfied unless it's with mm-hmm. the the dead body that I'm in love with you it's know this incredible like convergence of her desires of the film's acceptance of her and also of you know you're literally reunifying two things one of the things that is rotting and the other thing that is undesirable but technically alive and sort of mashing them both together and that that is sort of served as a climactic and right. fulfilling experience uh a la say tearing down the wall uh and i think i don't know that's 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 some gnarly semiotics right there that's some yeah that's some and it is really like fucking wild metaphors yeah, and it is interesting that he does like uh, she does have to use his real body to get the the the, the actual physical pleasure of it, um, which is why you know like she zip ties his his penis or whatever and then replaces his head with the with the with the with the dead head, um, but it, I, I felt like that was interesting too. Like uh, you know, I guess she she couldn't feel like. It, it feels like there's a cross there, like a, a fusion where it's she still needed that that real body there, but but the the idea of the 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 dead body was what she was truly in love with and what she truly had feelings for. You know? Yeah, well, it was it was it was bringing it into the for very brief moment, like bringing the dead body alive, almost. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, um, getting getting kind of the best of of both worlds. Yeah. Um, which which it is revealed in the last scene also winds up in 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 her getting pregnant which I which I wasn't sure if it was supposed to be a, a thing that she was trying to do 
or if it was a thing that he was developing for perhaps another a necromantic three yeah i read it as kind of like I, she seems a little happy about it when the shot goes back to her and she she feel, it, feel, it felt to me like a surprised smile a little bit I, i'm not 100 percent sure there is a um, comic but it felt like a joke too like the way like yorg was kind of like like you know, I don't know. It felt a little bit ironic in a way. Yeah, there is a comic called Son of Necromantic that York was involved with. I think it came out in like 2015, 2016. Oh, okay. Um, that is, oh, okay. that continues that story. I don't know if that was intentional or not, or just sort of the, oh, I guess we could continue the story here. Um, I haven't read it, so I, I couldn't speak on it. But I do know that that, I believe that this pregnancy is then the necro, the titular son of necromantic part of part of the necromantic yeah yeah you know (laughs) this is sort of phase one this is phase one (laughs) (laughs) all right well we'll wait for the the... assemble uh (laughs) the assemble yeah (laughs) (laughs) um pivoting to the uh reductive uh rating round on this one which for you sam is where we uh remove all the words all the nuance and uh land on a number between uh one and five for the film but it's also kind of turned into closing statements or any last scenes that uh or or quotes or anything we didn't get a chance to bring up that you really like it's also a place to do that um and and for me i feel a little bad about it but this one's gonna get the high three for me i do want to revisit both of these i think just the initial the initial shock might have overpowered my viewing <laughs> right experience on you. the first watch here yeah. but after talking about it like i feel like there's more happening than my initial feelings felt and also yeah. it would also just be nice for me to be a little bit more familiar with some of again the german history and the history of german cinema that he's more in conversation with to get into some of the more sort of art qualities that that he's he's going for because i i spent a lot of the film thinking that it it, it does work very well um as sort of like a blunt force um, shock with the um, obviously the gore factor with with clear gestures towards like the actual feelings of Monica's character um, but I, I did leave it kind of wishing there was a little bit more of um, the filmmaking level that he kind of revealed with himself in the style of the scene where she's singing um, yeah but but also it might be very intentional that he doesn't want to go into that sort of more dreamier headspace at a, at a certain point. He wanted to keep it in the realm of the body. Might be something he's interested in. Um, so, but by the way, my 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 initial feeling was that th- there's something interesting happening here. I don't know exactly what it is. I definitely felt something. Um, and after <laughs> talking about it, I definitely want to go down some more Yorg. Um, and and honestly, I haven't seen as much Fassbender as I as I should. I've only seen like two or three Fassbender films. So I really need to go down. Uh, that rabbit hole as well and i'm hoping to return to these ones and maybe even get more out of them um because uh i i will say first time around for the next film we talked about i was able to get a a a lot out of that which had sort of a bit of a similar idea i would say uh, kind of sort of like pleasure being destruction des- destructive or destruction in the pursuit of it in a certain way there, there's an element yeah. to that to, to, to that here that I think splatter and naked blood just really took the next level for me as, as well. Um, but yeah, for, uh, for you, Jamie. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm going to give it the high three as well. Um, it's, it's, it's one that I feel will grow on me in this conversation. Once again, like this happens a lot with these kind of very strange, uh, brain melters that we get on the show. 
is uh, after the initial conversation, I feel like I just have a, a, a much larger understanding of what's going on because, I mean, I was just kind of sitting there, you know, just flabbergasted a lot of the time <laughs> at, at, what, at what I was witnessing and, and that I always love. So, I mean, I can always get something out of that. But, but yeah, this conversation helped uh, open it up for me a little bit more. Um, and one thing I wanted to say, uh, just because uh, we were talking about the food connection, there's this shot that just got me so, so bad, uh, was when she's, she's preparing the, the dead penis and, and wrapping it up in the plate and everything and about to put it in the fridge. And yeah, I like, think like, she's like a piece of leftover ham or something. Yeah. Yeah. And she's holding it <laughs> and then it does like a hard cut to her cooking and eating meat. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, no, that didn't just happen. Did it? And it's, it's not that, but just the way that he, you know, connects those two shots to make you think like, yep, this could, this could also be happening in my movie. And, and she might be going this far as well. Um, it's, it's just, he has a lot of that where it's very, very smart filmmaking and it just shocks you and, uh, in the best possible ways. Major possibly um, in Michigan yeah. energy. Pardon it's me? major possibly in Michigan energy. Cecilia Condit's short film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah. So I'll give it a, a high three for now, but yeah, this, these, these could definitely grow on me. For, sure. uh, for you, Sam, can, can we assume the five? Uh, okay. So actually, uh, this one's a four. Um, this one's oh, a four. Nice. Uh, I think it's a little long. I think it's a little long. I, that's, that was, yeah, that's a critique. I was, yeah, well. I think it's a little long. It could be a five, um, on pun. You know, it changes. I've seen this film several times, uh, you know, as as one does when they are a spiraling high schooler um, with no direction <laughs> and a lot of unpronounced feelings. Uh, you watch it a lot uh, and just turn it on at like 11 p.m. on a Wednesday when you have to get up at six in the next morning because you can't sleep. Uh yeah, I think it's great. Uh, I also had a, like an affection. I, we didn't talk about the fact that it was like confiscated by the German government in Munich. Oh, really? Twelve yeah. days after yeah, I, it came I, I, out. I remember reading that. Um, yeah, that's that's very badass. Yeah, which I think is so cool. And I did spend so much time uh, as a teenager, like hunting down different films that were seized because I wanted to feel like a real edge lord son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a little long. I love it to pieces. Uh, no pun intended. Again, I'm stumbling <laughs> into those constantly this episode. But <laughs> hard not to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I adore this film. It holds a very special place in my heart as a uh, movie about what it's like to feel desire. Well, we're, we're going to have a little bit more talk about that same thing a little bit when we jump into uh, Splatter Naked Blood, which we're going to do coming up next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
All right, we are back, and we are talking Splatter, Naked Blood, the uh, 1996 Japanese horror film directed by uh, Hisuyasu Sato. Um, it is uh, apparently a remake of uh, a 1987 <laughs> film by him called, uh, this is the title, Genuine Rape. Oh my god. Jesus. Uh, I did not know that. That's just and, the most like blunt title I think we've ever heard on this show, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, it, like the word genuine is doing a lot of... Uh, <laughs> uh, power there i don't i don't, As opposed I don't really to... know yeah uh, yeah <laughs> uh, but uh oh I, I haven't i haven't explored a lot of sat uh of sato but uh, after this i absolutely uh yes. will be if i can find his films because it, it seems like he was one of the most prolific japanese filmmakers from uh around 1986 87 ish roughly um all the way until um 1997 1998 it seems like he made um what looks what amounts to uh, i guess like two dozen films um all in uh what what is known as the sort of pinku genre which is uh sort of japanese exploitation films involving a lot of nudity um and uh he would later develop that obviously into more sort of splatter eros um genre of film which is okay uh, so he didn't always do like super gore it was just mostly nudity and sex that he was kind of going with yeah did he always mix the two uh, well, it, it seems like he has a lot of film that mixes the two, but okay. he he definitely got started making Pinku films and bondage films, and gotcha. and and, and uh, he seemed like he was a bit of a for hire director for films that were already getting made before he was able to weaponize that into making things that he wanted to make clearly, right? Um, which which he he very clearly did uh, with with this one here doing his own sort of like erotic surreal splatter film about the very idea of of pleasure and 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 sadness uh and i was like kind of like immediately taken by this film um because it's just it's it's incredibly lean into the point it's like something like 75 minutes um and it's 75 minutes straight of developing its idea on creating the ultimate painkiller um which obviously in a way that uh he has to depict in the most vicious way possible has negative side effects in that uh people start they it kills their pain so badly that they start to enjoy pain um and too much he takes that he takes that to uh some certain extremes that we'll say yeah Um, but but i think the thing that i was the most taken with was just that in a similar way to Necromantic 2, but I think taken even a little bit further, Sato just has such a sort of dreamy, light, almost like kind of like soothing ethereal quality to the the, the filmmaking, um, while again depicting something that is just absolutely repulsive. And we'll, we'll get to the uh, most famous uh, scene and scenes that, that take place uh, in this movie, which is um, very... Um, it, it is known as one of the most appalling scenes in all of Japanese horror. Um, so we're going to be talking awesome. about that. Uh, just in case you thought it, you're wondering why this one connects to Necromantic too. But, I, but I will say for, for long portions of this film, it's just kind of like this really sad film about a son 
who's lost his father and his his mother who has obviously lost lost her husband yeah. and both of them feeling sad which has kind of like driven him sort of implicitly to develop this 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 painkiller to um, you know yeah. he, he wants to significantly improve the happiness of, of, of mankind is, is how he says it. He wants to spend their days in feelings of blue skies and spring. Um, he even calls the drug uh, mycin or my son yeah. um, because of his dad, who, who was a scientist, sort of exploring the uh, ideas of, I think it suggested something he was, he was trying to find eternal life. Yeah. He was trying to find the light. Anyway, there, there, there's all these implications of sort of like uh, a, achieving transcendence or or beauty or lightness uh through science and through um progress i guess but then it is connected to this ultimate painkiller um that he sort of inflicts on three women who are going um who have agreed to participate in a study for con contraceptives um so as they're getting their experimental birth control put into their bodies, they're also getting put this uh, e experimental pain medication uh, at the same time. And it kind of switches between, you know, uh, the, the, the son's f feelings um, about the sort of family drama, and then it switches to him experimenting with these women's bodies um, and holding and like filming them on like the sort of like digital video camcorder, which the film sort of like takes on the aesthetic of a little bit while he's doing that. And then striking up eventually a relationship with one of the girls that he, um, is, uh, using as a guinea pig for his pain medication. And then there's also a psychic cactus. Yeah. And then we <laughs> got to get to the psychic cactus, which is just Who could forget about fucking that? insane. Yeah. And, and is like, I think the the part that that eventually took it to the next level for me a little bit because these these girls when when they all sit down after they get the um medication put into them um they all sit down and they talk about the things that sort of like appeal to them and and one woman says that since she's hit um uh, puberty or something or adulthood that she she no longer sleeps so she has to deal with a way of no longer sleeping which is uh by having these dreamy vr sessions with a sentient cactus uh that's that's how that's what she does instead of sleeping uh for you know eight hours or whatever um but but the other girl is sort of obsessed with her body um she's she's um uh, I, I guess she's sort of a bit of a stand-in for, for for vanity, I guess, is supposed to be the idea symbolically, because the other yeah. girl is also, she loves food, and she That'd thinks that food is gluttony, very pleasurable, and a little bit of, a little bit of gluttony, I guess, in, in there. I, I do really love the line that she gets, where she's like, man was born to eat and die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, Damn right. uh, there's so much, like, vaguely Freudian, Oedipal nonsense <laughs> in this movie that is all, like, very clearly fitting into you know this, this kind of fable but then it, it there are moments where it sort of branches off from that in this really beautiful way where it sort of abandons all pretense of metaphor and just exists in this either extremely visceral or extremely ethereal realm that i then that's what makes it special to me in terms of its form yeah one thing in particular was um, the way that, like, you know, he sets this up as a, a as a very 
uh, I don't know, in my opinion, it's like very, it's dramatic, it's, it's spiritual in a way, metaphysical. Um, and then as things start to get more and more uh, uh, real life violent, like uh, it, they start to hurt themselves and, and all that, he just cranks up the aggression uh, like with the sound design, for instance, you know, th- th- there's so much like uh, sounds of slime and and just you know fingers going into blood and guts and and it's it, and it feels like he cranks that gain up to like ten too. He, he doesn't. It doesn't feel like the sound design uh, is leveled compared to the rest of the scene. It's very very loud and in your face um, and. I found that interesting just that he, he starts off with this very, like, the, like there's the family drama and the kids obviously going through some psychological stuff. Uh, but then, it, but then once the violence hits, it's just, there's, there's no metaphor about it. It's just, it's right there. It's real. It's physical. It's in your face. Um, and yeah, it's very effective. And the full, the full, well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's like, oh, it's yeah. unreal. It's, it is so imaginative and so like, that is that is the bread and butter to me of like gore films yeah. is the splatter work, the like gooey visual effects, uh, practical effects, and the sound design. And I mean, there's a lot more to this film, and there's a lot more that makes it special to in my eyes. Absolutely, but I mean, on the pure, if you just want to watch some really good gnarly gore, this is pro- <laughs> like there are two scenes in this that are probably the most viscerally upsetting I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and, 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 and that, that's one thing that I think really ends up working about this film because it, it really lands home, especially to do with the, the cactus stuff. When they talk about, I dream with the cactus, the cactus <laughs> will show you the scenery of your heart, but and it, having but it, like it, it, the cactus also have the virtual reality headset on too. <laughs> yep. you know, just, that, just that image of like a cactus with all these wires and it, it's, and it's like it's, positioned uh, it's so where strange. his face would be. Like, it's not just anywhere. It's like yeah. up on the top <laughs> yeah. for some reason. It makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it, it, it does just get at this idea, I think, in the filmmaking especially, that there are kind of like, we exist on two planes, like we right. exist in kind of like this more psychological, metaphysical, spiritual sort of plane of existence where you have a psychedelic dream of romance with a cactus, uh, or, or you feel these really horrible feelings about, about, you know, sort of, um, you know, the, the loss of his father, which is a physical thing that we see happen in, in the film is something just so inexplicable and unknowable that that has a kind of psychic effect on him. Um, and then we see that later expressed, you know, in actual bodily form and he eventually gets to you exist in these two different places and you're trying to kind of get to the next step stage of your life you're trying to get into this realm of maybe we can be happy maybe we can you know so it it seems like that's kind of like the pursuit that people are in but like it's almost like the body is kind of holding them back and that's why he wants to develop this painkiller um and that's why eventually people sort of do damage to their bodies in this film it it, it feels like people trying to escape the body a little bit and get to a the a sort of like transcendent realm and i think that's what's so powerful is that the filmmaking is kind of light and ethereal and dreamy in 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 certain ways that get you into that headspace 
And then when he pivots to the body horror, it is so visceral and it's so disgusting. And you're, you're, you're just so invested in watching these people tear their own bodies apart. Like when the one girl pierces herself like 6 million times and is like ripping her arm flesh off. Or when the one girl who loves food literally starts eating herself when she put her hand in the fucking the te- oh god yeah the tempura uh, gang the, is fucking unreal yes. goddamn yeah she 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 like boils and fries her hand and then she starts eating her own hand and then at a, at a certain point she's taking a knife and fork to her own genitals and 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 eating those and then she sticks a uh, fork into her when she, fucking eyeball and pulls out her when eyeball. she chews like on her shot too yeah she like chews so, so on her own clit and then totally like uh and like pulls out the eye and usually when they pull out the eye in these films it's like it pops out but this has like this um like conical like extension to it like she's pulling out the eye and all the nerves yeah it is like god and then it like twitches in the air and oh it is and then then she eats it root first that was to me yeah. like the grossest part for some reason. I was like, "Eat the eyeball, not the root first. Oh no! Yeah, the, the the part that was the grossest to me is when she first uh, penetrates it and she pierces it and pops it like it's uh, so like, good, like too. like the like like, like how unreal. you would pop like an egg yolk or something. Yeah, like that's what it looks like when she does it. It's so gross. And uh, worth noting, shout out to um, the makeup artist on this film, um, Yuchi Matsui. Um, whose makeup whose makeup credits include Ichi the Killer and oh, Kill Bill. Well, there you go. There you go. There you, there go. you go. There's all the <laughs> blood. That's the explanation. Yeah. Yeah. This film has the best core. I mean, like, on a... It is so... It operates on, you know, two levels where it's like you're, you're seeing something that means a lot and is very emotionally affecting. And we can talk about that because this film sort of operates where it has about six different layers going all at once, and they all sort of follow the same trajectory, but it'll never, like, there's there's stuff with um, the mother and the son and the father that is all sort of leading to the final, like, VR three-way with a cactus. Then there's uh, <laughs> stuff with plants and sort of how we observe things, and then there's the bodily horror stuff, and it's all sort of leading to the same place, which I think is really neat because I love when they, I, when stories tie together all these disconnected strands really well. Uh, yeah. But also the gore is, I mean, just... <laughs> it is, it, it is ex- exceptional, for sure. Yeah, yeah like just the, the progress of the girl that... Um, that the one that's obsessed with her physical appearance, uh, how she's like these these cuts that she gives herself, and uh, and then that there's a, a close up of the I don't know what it is. It's like some type of uh, I don't know if it's like a, a makeup thing that she's using or something, but she puts it right through her wrist, and and once again, oh yeah, it, he's it, just he just it, it looks like a piercing needle or like a knitting needle or something. Yeah. It looks like what she's using. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's some of the most visceral violence I, I think I've seen on the show because he doesn't just show you something shocking and then turn away from it. There are like long ten second shots of her 
putting the the needle into her wrist and then like twisting it around and stretching yeah. the skin oh. and it's just like <laughs> and the sound once again oh yeah too, and i mean yeah like, he has to throw that in your face because i think so I mean, sound design is gross um, and <laughs> yeah that sound design i think is really what sets people off more than the image uh usually does even though we think of the image i really do think that sound is what makes you cringe most of the time and uh, I mean, he did. He, it's he knocks it out of the park. It's unbelievable yeah. sound design. I definitely found myself even more than with Necromantic, like actually looking away from the screen a little bit. Yeah, uh, like I, I eventually went back and 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 watched them. But like my immediate reaction, even just hearing it, was just like I don't want to see this. I just want to. <laughs> And like, even as someone who watches these kinds of movies, it's just that was the general reaction I had watching it because it's just so absolutely and disgusting. There's something very disturbing about the fact that the characters are so intrigued by it. Like it's like especially and enjoying the, it. Right, yeah, the that's food definitely girl a huge especially. Part. Like she's she's smiling. Uh, just and and laughing and having a great time as she's eating her vagina and cutting off her nipple and all this crazy shit. Oh my god, I forgot about, about the, the nipple. Yeah, and that is detailed. I don't even know how <laughs> that looks so real. I could even like I I could not process that one. That one was yeah. She really she, hard. she takes a knife and fork to her own nipple and just uh like you know as if she was cutting like you know like yeah, a like, nice piece of cheese. Yeah, as if you're like she's scooping just like, the top <laughs> off creme brulee. Uh, Oh yeah. My God. <laughs> yeah. I. I think. I mean, this is like the trigger warning. I don't. For, first of all, this movie's on YouTube. I don't know how. Um, I have no idea yeah, how <laughs> they allow that to be on there. Uh, mm-hmm. But <laughs> I. I think there is something to be said for. I mean, obviously, this is a gross-out movie, and part of the sort of perverse pleasure. You know, it's supposed to, you watch these painful experiences and you do derive sort of a pleasure from watching them if you are a certain type of freak, which I am not like, <laughs> Hello. yeah, like you, you know, I, I, many people, yeah, I figure, I figure sure. yeah. will, will, will be. in a podcast called, <laughs> we have the audience for it. yeah, uh, <laughs> but I do think the film has such an awareness, especially with the woman who is cutting herself, uh, you know, it starts off and it sort of feels like, oh, this is uh, gluttony and vanity and sort of sociopathy are the three that are at play. But it becomes right. more like this is a person who is consuming and who views uh, her body as something to consume. Then there is the person who views their her body as something to be witnessed. And then there's the person right. who mm-hmm. views her body as a vessel for witnessing. Um and all of those sort of get distorted because one person eats her own body then and then this woman sort of destroys it and then you know the other woman uh who is witnessing all this begins to derive pleasure from destroying everything that she's witnessing she like that pain of cutting someone up and then the desire to sleep the desire to rest sort of becomes corrupted and she's making all of these other people rest permanently uh mm-hmm. and i i would say too there's also something to be said about sort of like the transformative quality of what she's witnessing a little bit too that she she sees that in a lot of ways that some of these people were previously kind of un, unhappy in in certain regards the camera's photosynthesis. and then these people are yeah so they're 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 feeling like this very in, intense pleasure 
um, from this experience. So then it's almost like she sees a way of kind of like relieving people or making them feel better uh, through bodily harm when she eventually becomes a killer and ends up killing the main kid's uh, mom. And it's it's used as a bit of a reveal, even though we kind of know uh, by the time that she does it in the film. But I was kind of surprised uh, to see that um, during the sort of like uh, climactic moment of this film where it is revealed in the scene where um, the sort of more sociopathic girl the, or the the girl who has taken on more homicidal tendencies uh, with regard to the the drug and the um, the the boy who who invented the medication they are having a uh, psychedelic virtual reality threesome with the cactus oh yeah um, Fuck yeah and it's and, it, and it's this very sort of like pleasurable moment in the filmmaking as well, where he, uh, like he just he really takes it to the next level, doing like these these uh, sort of like dolly pan shots around the sex while also on a green screen, while also throwing in just all the visual insanity that he can. And then, but the, but during this psychic connection that they have is when he experiences from her point of view um, her. Um, killing the two girls eventually and and then also killing um his his mom um and there's something so strange that having this just this such euphoric moment between these two and then in in her mind this euphoria also extends to sort of like relieving these people or inflicting them with how she sees it pleasure and then having the same fucking climactic moment as necromantic too yeah, yeah. where where she totally just fucking slits his throat in the middle of um sex and Aids the way and, the blood. and he and he wants yeah, it point and he where, wants her to yes and i think yeah because he takes yeah. the serum before right yeah. so so the uh all of that pain becomes complete uh pleasure to him in and so in a way it's it's very you know, uh, I think <laughs> kind of her. I think <laughs> she 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 helped him achieve the transcendent eternal exactly. life he was after since his father. Exactly, um, which is also something too that the gore at that point takes on less of a realistic quality, and it, it does that sort of insane thing where it like cartoonishly sprays bright red everywhere in the middle of this psychedelic euphoric moment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because even in the scene where and, um, there's the woman cutting herself, there's not a lot of blood. I mean, there's blood in spots, right? She's drenched in it, but it's yep. it's not spraying everywhere. It doesn't have it doesn't have a vector that the blood there yep. does. And I think what's really neat about the structure of the film is it shifts from a it it becomes basically starting at the tempura and ending with uh, her slicing uh, uh, the scientist's throat, the scientist's son's throat. Uh, you you become progressively more psycho. It becomes progressively more psychological pain that they are turning into pleasure, yeah. Yeah. and that becomes the same for the audience. So you are viscerally connected to something uh, in the gore that is also not really present for you internally. And as it becomes things that are less viscerally present, uh, it becomes it becomes more of something of a burden that the audience carries too. And the audience is a feeling like we are not to be incredibly corny, but it's like, we are also taking the serum. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I just want to touch on 
you know, probably a little early, my favorite moment in the film, uh, which is when she's, uh, it's the woman who's cutting herself. Uh, and I think Sato has such an eye for self-harm. I mean, like, sorry, major trigger warning here uh, for talking about that. But I mean, of course, I hope you, at this point, if you have been triggered, I hope you are, you know, yeah. I hope you're taking care of yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, hope, I hope you've turned it off yeah. by now or not watch yeah. these. Yeah, um, just don't watch this for sure. Yeah, please don't. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> You'll have a time. There's, uh, there is a sense for how in situations of self-harm, it becomes sort of a fascination. It becomes sort of a removal. It, it does become a release. And to see something that is so common and is so real, like you don't see a lot of people eating themselves, right? But you do see people hurting themselves, right? And to be something that is, you know, relatively close to home for me, um, represented so viscerally was shocking and very upsetting, but to also recognize the tenderness of that pain, like it never, it, it seeks to validate the release and the pain all at once. And it, it of course, never suggests right. it as a permanent solution for living, but it, it does very creepily um, signify that struggle um, with sort yeah. of a mm-hmm. desire to mutilate your appearance. Uh, and then, so uh, a homicidal girl, homicidal lady walks in and uh, the vain woman is crying and she's like, I can't stop. It feels so good. And then they hug. And then there is a slight breeze as they hug and everything goes quiet. And it's this one moment where everything stops and it becomes totally present in the world. And to put that into your weird vaguely pornographic because it doesn't really escape the like visual language of pornography super gore film is it it stunned me the first time i saw it i was i was blown away that it would take this moment to allow you to feel anything and sort of skyrocket you into this other um emotional plane yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think that's the thing that impressed me the most about this film is just that, you know, d- despite the sort of vulgar aspects and shocking aspects of it, that it is just so sensitively drawn with the psychological mm-hmm. experiences of yeah. most of the major characters, including the mother who gets like these, these, these beautiful moments where like she's watching this old footage of, of the father. And we even get a visualization of the scene where, where he disappears, where it's just, he says that he's going to be back, that he thinks he saw some light in, in the water. So he starts walking towards the water and just basically disappears and is, and is out of her life while she's pregnant also, with her son. I also find it interesting that he chose to actually show him like fade away as opposed to, you know, like, like she looks away, she looks back and he's gone, that kind of thing. That mm-hmm. the, the physical like image of him actually dissolving, I don't, I don't know. It, it gave me more of a, uh, it's it's like as if it it, it wasn't as 
uh, spiritual or anything like that. It's almost as if it actually happened. I just found it very interesting that he chose to show you the disappearance mm-hmm. instead of just making it ominous. I, you know? I am a sucker for ghosts. Or a, a not. I am a sucker for ghosts in movies. I will. Yeah. I will yeah. like. <laughs> I will immediately love any movie more where all of a sudden a dead character pops up in just the corner of a room. That, which I mean, does happen later on. And that. Blood. And that yeah well not not only does he pop up in a corner, but uh, he 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 finds a new home. He, you know he climbs <laughs> into his wife's corpse. Yeah, which yeah. which is just which crazy is, and one of the be- the craziest effects. Yeah, like that oh, is like, where you have completely film, abandoned sure. realism. She puffs up like the marshmallow man, right? Yeah, <laughs> and he just like envelops her. Oh. That shot of like, my favorite shot is uh, when he he goes inside and you see like the feet dangling from her stomach yeah, and the, then the, it goes the feet in sticking out of the open chest cavity and then <laughs> the open chest or the open stomach and then you see his hands come up and close the stomach like a Venus flytrap. Like, it's like yeah, it was it was one of the most bizarre images I've ever seen, uh, and um, it's it's so well done too. Like the like. I, I'm assuming it's just like a half faked body with a bed sheet or something like that. But the, it's it's very very well done. And to watch a fully grown man uh, go it, climb inside a woman's stomach was just, I mean, it is what it is. That explanation is bizarre in its own. Well, yeah, so. and 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 I think that's that's what ultimately made me like this film um, so so much is that it it, it abandons that realism after a certain point. Yeah, that it, that it kind of merges the bodily. Um, experience with this psychic experience that these characters are having to the point where they're feeling both in both planes that they are in this dreamy psychedelic cactus universe (laughs) (laughs) while at the same time also you know uh connecting it to their real physical bodies and the experiences of, of what they're feeling and like watching like a wife reconnected with her husband it in the film it's a beautiful moment where she's reconnected with her husband she's seeing him again yeah but the reconnection <laughs> is so fucking visually drawn in just this kind of like repulsive way and what's weird too that, is that she disappears after i believe so it's almost as if they both transcended so it does seem kind of yeah. happy but after it's just you have to watch something that's so <laughs> violent and and strange to get there, so you, so it's it's a very uh, you know you you feel a mixed uh, you feel mixed feelings. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a sense of mutilation or destruction um, to achieve the kind of metaphysical, which is yeah. something that I feel like the filmmaking itself and its tangible and more dreamier qualities actually do express. And it expresses um, it through the know. entire film, like you. You, you, yes. Like yeah, like back. you go into this movie and the posters are full of gore and everything about it. I mean, the title is Splatter <laughs> Naked Blood. And it starts off and it's <laughs> just a boy biking through the city. And it's this yep. like upbeat sort of, you know, it, it's a scene that wouldn't be out of place in a like slice of life anime or a persona cut scene, yeah. right? Like, there's all these shots of the city and the skyscrapers yeah. and stuff. It is very much like that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think there's so much about, yeah, I love the plants. I love the plants in this movie. I love that it becomes, because <laughs> plants don't bleed. Plants, you know, and to 
take this movie that sort of sells it to you itself to you as a gnarly incredibly graphic upsetting film about all that stuff one second sorry oh no problem problem. i I keep having to like wander around because the, the nobody told me that the lawnmower people were coming today of course right um, <laughs> it's all good. Happens with my apartment all the time. <laughs> uh, and to sort of be about people becoming plants, sort of excising all of their blood, excising all of their bodily fluids, draining themselves. Um, I think it's not unimportant that the original drug trial is for a contraceptive to curb overpopulation, right? Yeah. Um, and then slowly everyone becomes sort of either consumed by sex and at the same time removed from sex, which I think is a very interesting concept for a filmmaker who is fascinated by, uh, who is uh, commonly known at least for all about the perversions of our deepest sexual desires. You sort of focus on people trying to abandon those desires altogether. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I haven't, I haven't explored more of more of him yet, but I really want to watch Muscle, which you said. Muscle's amazing. Good. Muscle takes very similar <laughs> approaches to how we view bodies. You know, bodies in space, but not in space. Uh, use that like cliched form that I <laughs> that I do love. Like I will, I will watch any movie about bodies in space. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but. It, it focuses on the male body and bodybuilders and vulnerability in that regard. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's that's the one that I've I've seen that other than um, Splatter, everyone seems to really like. Like, it seems like one of the more sort of like acclaimed films in his uh, filmography. Is it like the dark so version that, of Pumping Iron with Arnie? Kind of. <laughs> honestly, yeah. Not not far off. <laughs> That sounds great. Or like the um, horny fucked up cousin of Carell. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Which again, Fassbender coming up in both sides of this. Uh, There we go. There we go. I think. Um, Well. Oh, Oh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to uh, mention, as you mentioned, all the different uh, types of filmmaking going on, creating, you know. Uh, different uh, textural spaces in the film, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, pivoting towards the uh, reductive rating round on on this one, I think this one honestly got the high four for me. Um, I had a great time with uh, Sato's sort of vision of sort of the the splatter erotica genre in this again this very sort of like dreamy light uh, sort of like ethereal cinematic vision of sort of like these psychological experiences, these feelings of, of overwhelming sadness. Um, and an interesting idea is, is formed about, um, sort of denying pain, but having, but also at the same time, like trying to, um, transform it into something else and something grounded in sort of like the physical and and the bodily and i do think that something is lent to it too by creating these sort of psychedelic psychological experiences like we've talked about with the the sex scene and when he eventually when the son eventually hits 
his vision of eternal life when he uh, lets her sort of uh, euphorically slice his throat during sex and spraying blood everywhere. It's it's this giant release. It's this amazing feeling. But the film itself is grounded in this very sort of like uh, video camcorder um, kind of vibe, which is a little bit uneasy sometimes. It's a little bit detached, especially in the footage of him like recording them. And there's a little bit of a voyeur angle to it on on that side of it. But it, it's so important to go from something grounded and physical like that and then to sort of depict this almost out-of-body escape, this this transcendence, this this, this vision of, uh, as, as the father says, something about the the fusion of, of nuclear and light or something like that, and the, we're, we're, which is apparently how he uh, somehow got to the next plane, although uh, he didn't really need to dream together with the VR cactus in order to do it. Uh, but best supporting actor VR cactus. <laughs> oh yeah, um, <laughs> hell of a performance. Uh, I, I I did like that she brings up too, as Sam was mentioning earlier about the uh, the plants when when the girl who does have the VR cactus dreams uh, mentions that the reason she does it with a cactus is because the cactus also never really sleeps. It's always kind of like moving on the inside. It doesn't really. Sl- she's like maybe maybe it never sleeps and maybe it is always dreaming too. Is kind of like the idea of 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 having it there. Um, but again, just seeing this, this very sensitive psychological depiction of, of pain and, and, and trying to both exercise it and, and also transform it and then seeing it in just this very visceral vision of mutilation and pleasure simultaneously in the filmmaking. Um, I found it just very powerfully expressed especially in the way that the, the characters and how they feel about it um there's all kinds of little moments and psychological engagements both with the mom with with each different girl and how they feel about their experiences and how they're letting go um and then obviously especially the 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 son's experience and her the uh sort of homicidal girl's uh way of basically helping them all reach that plane and especially the mom being reunited with the father in just the most <laughs> way that you could possibly like 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 that scene is basically filmed like you would have like a typical hollywood embrace <laughs> yeah yeah like that that, like that, that, that the... is the emotion being expressed mm-hmm. in that scene is that you know like the mom gets to heaven and hugs the father that is the the, the yeah. sort of like emotional psychological f- expression of that scene i thought it but, was gonna be so, like this uh you know like she's she's got her her open stomach and she's dying you know i thought it was like she's on her way to to the next realm or the next wave or whatever and she's seeing her husband and there's this going to be this moment of catharsis <laughs> for her and uh and, and it's going to be great they're you they're reuniting even though she's dying a very you know painful and and really grotesque death uh but then what does he do he he just he dives right in this you know? movie refuses right to not can't even have a, this movie refuses yeah it just <laughs> can't even have a normal embrace on your way to the next uh plane of living <laughs> but, but it's great it's great yeah so so and, and the way that again he he just formulates all of this in this very like tangible disgusting like video dreamscape quality i think it was just it it, it really worked um for me and I was really impressed and I can't wait to check out more of his stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you on the, on the four out of five. Uh, I, I want to dive into this guy's uh, filmography for sure. I guess I, I'm going to be checking out, what is it? Muscle? Is that what it was called? Muscle. Muscle. That'll yeah. be the next one. So watch uh, oh, yeah. pumping iron, the disgusting, crazy, bizarre horror version. 
I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was great. Once again, the, the sound design for the, for the kills are just unbelievably disgusting and, and make it so that you can't really take any, you know, that, that animalistic pleasure that you get out of watching a slasher every once in a while. It just does not feel at all like a traditional a horror movie in that regard. You do feel for these people, even though, and you feel cross because, you know, they're, they're doing this to, to uh, try to discover pleasure that's beyond what they've experienced before. Um, and you can tell that a lot of these people are going through just, um, whether it be small or large, they're going through a lot of turmoil. And uh, so to see them be able to ex- access pleasure, but through this grotesque pain, it, you, you, you feel a, a mixed amount of things. Um, that, that definitely is what took it to the next level. Like watching her eat herself yeah, and is, enjoy it. is one thing, but the ecstatic pleasure yes. in, 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 in not just the filmmaking, but the performance too and everything about it. Just, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. Cause, cause it makes it so much more impactful and for I, some reason and I think too. Like the differences between the, uh, the, the more vanity girl and then the, and then the one that eats herself um, is the one that eats herself is like, she feels pure pleasure, whereas the one with uh, that's going through more of the vanity, she feels the pleasure, but she's also very frightened because she's destroying her. She's more conflicted for sure. Right. Yeah. Whereas, whereas you're watching the girl eat herself, and she is fucking. It's finger licking good. She's loving it. <laughs> so it's 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 so so strange. Um, but yeah, I, I had a, it's a wild ride. Uh, four out of five, and I'll be checking out this guy's other stuff because I'm sure there's some more bizarre shit I need to check out. Hell yeah. And for you, Oh, this is like the highest five possible for me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. This is one of my favorite. I I, I honestly feel like I could get there. I could get there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I love this movie. I watched it late one night towards the end of October in 2019. And I was obsessed with it. I wanted to talk about it with everyone and nobody really wanted to talk about it with me. I have a few friends who have seen it, but for some (laughs) reason, they were not that interested in talking about it with me. I wonder why. Uh, well, that's what we're here for. Well, thank you guys so much for letting me talk about this. Uh, yeah, I think there's something to the way that it toys with the idea that uh, men require women and directors require actresses to sort of desecrate themselves for pleasure as a kind of experiment. Um, and that we viewers are plants sort of feeding off of this and relating to it. Uh, I, I I love this movie. Sex is complicated and messy and is or pulled with a lot of pain for me. Uh, so to see a movie that validates that pain while also examining how we deny it and to see it operate in this language that is very close to my heart, this sort of gore and uh, pornographic lens, uh, I, I was so moved and genu- genuinely like frightened and upset by everything that this yeah. m- movie brings to the table. And I don't know, it holds such a special place in my heart. And I also think just like, Formally, it hits it out of the park. Like, I, like, this is... Oh, yeah. This, I I couldn't make this kind of movie, of course. Like, not that I make movies, but I, it is so special to me to 
feel, I guess, I guess I normally feel seen by something yeah. about <laughs> like, Hey, sex and desire within your own body is the worst. Um, <laughs> and it's also just ecstatic and something inexplicable. And I think mm-hmm. yeah. it gets to the heart of that better than most things I've seen in a way that is so much more direct and sort of vernacular. So for me, total yeah. five, like one of my favorite films ever. Oh, also we forgot to talk about the fact, yeah. sorry, uh, it becomes Mad Max for the last scene. Like the last scene is just a, <laughs> right. just a yeah. girl, girl driving off into the sunset, like some sort of butch motorcycle oh, yeah. lady, which with her son or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, because because she was also impregnated by the uh, corpse that she was uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> going at it with. Wild. Uh, another necromancer. Yeah. Time. Beautiful. Sorry, just I forgot about that because that is wild. And it comes out of nowhere, and I love it. Yeah, and they say that there's, like, a disease going on or something. They're like, uh, there's, there's less uh, diseased people to the West or something like that. It's almost like a, it's like an apocalyptic kind of thing. Yeah, I have no idea what it... I don't know why it's there. I love it. Yeah, I don't either, <laughs> but, I but I have no well, idea why it's there. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I know it had something to do with that she was going to continue to spread this drug okay. through, through the child somehow. Uh, because because he he took the rem- the remnants of the drug to like make sure that no one like to basically make sure no one else could take it, and she said that it will continue through through us and through uh, supposedly this child. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So so I don't I, so I don't I don't know if she plans to like infect intentionally infect everyone or something or I don't I don't know. Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Though. I love the imagery of it. Sorry to just derail the like wrap up, but that was. No, oh, no, that that was a necessary because I I nearly forgot about that really odd last minute. <laughs> yeah, just bizarre. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for letting me talk about both of these movies. Uh, oh, absolutely, I love them. All Thanks lot. for introducing them to us. Yeah. Oh my gosh, please, I appreciate it. Yeah. No, we were we were very glad for sure uh, to have you on and, and to talk about these films because every once in a while we need to get. Uh, you know, we, we, we spend too much time talking about, like, some of the films that are already sort of, like, canonized that every once in a while it's really nice to hit up just, like, the straight <laughs> dirt underground. Where sometimes yeah. with something like Splatter, you will find some of the most artful filmmaking uh, or at least idiosyncratic personal filmmaking yeah. uh, in, in in this kind of realm. Um, so we, we have a great time with, with stuff like this, even if uh, both of these were absolutely disgusting <laughs> in the best way fuck yeah hell yeah um uh but sam this is actually the part of the show where if you've got anything to uh plug we usually let you do that so if you want to plug uh twitter or letterbox or anything like that you yeah can do that. uh my twitter is s botrojan uh it's s b o d r o j a n uh other than that i mean it's locked but request me and i'll accept you uh yeah sorry i'm <laughs> plugging a locked account but i'll re- i'll accept you uh yeah <laughs> this was a pleasure i don't have anything really to promote right now but this was really great and i'm so thankful that someone let me and engaged with me over these <laughs> two movies that <laughs> fill my head on many days in a year that are not particularly well known 
Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much for introducing us and probably introducing a bunch of yeah. uh, a, f- a few hundred other weirdos uh, to some of these. I mean, we, we had a couple listeners who were very stoked that someone was bringing on films like these. Yeah, just people were just throwing up the cactus emoji over and over Fuck again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah. It's definitely what, uh, what, what I'll be doing from now on, too. Yeah, that's I, my I saw review. the cactus emojis before I watched the film, and I, then I watched it, and I was like, I understand. Or psychic cactuses out of five, now. for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but uh, for, for our listeners, we're going to be back in one week's time uh, with our uh, bonus episode next week, uh, where we are going to be uh, taking on the uh, horrors underneath the sort of... Uh, American surface with uh, one of high class society in a film literally called Society <laughs> from 1989, um, which has uh, one of the most sort of insanely graphic uh, sort of Lovecraftian horror finales about uh, rich people orgies that you will ever see. Man. Uh, it is a great time, obviously directed by uh, Brian Yesna, a regular crab collaborator with uh, Stuart Gordon. So if you can imagine sort of like the body horror of something like From Beyond mixed with uh, sort of rich 90210 <laughs> yeah. it, really, it could have uh, been a, like a prequel to Eyes Wide Shut or something. Or like a... Yes, very similar like a to, brother to or that. a cousin. Yeah, it's sort of like imagine Tom Cruise going into the the sex orgy party and eyes wide shut, but instead it's all like Cronenberg body horror. Yeah, that's kind of yeah. what society is. Exactly. So that's what we're going to be talking about uh, alongside Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. Yeah, um, which uh, has a little bit more to do with um, sort of gentrification and um, sort of Los Angeles class and racial. Um, tensions around um landlords and property uh which Wes Craven has sort of envisioned as a kind of a bit of a precursor to I guess kind of like the reveal in something like Parasite yeah, yeah. <laughs> of people literally living in the walls of house uh, of the house and there being uh maybe a cannibal element to it a little bit of a Toby Hooper quality a little bit to it a little bit as well um either way I was watching uh, People Under Stairs for the first time and I was pretty blown away especially as someone who has seen like a lot of Craven especially it's the very tones different that even it tries Craven. to balance it's it's uh, ambitious in that sense and I think he pulls it off. So, yeah, absolutely. So we're going to be talking about that that uh, next week for the Patreon exclusively again, Patreon.com/slash Theseoids Podcast. And then the week after, we're going to have a special guest on to do uh, the rare uh, triple feature episode, oh. which we sometimes allow. Um, but we are going to be doing a triple feature episode on, uh, weirdly enough connects with people under the stairs we're going to be doing toby hooper we're going to be talking about all of toby hooper's uh films under the canon contract that he got in the 80s shortly after the success of uh texas chainsaw and eaten alive and the fun house and stuff like that excellent so we're going to be talking about uh his sci-fi movie life force awesome uh, another film called invaders from mars which i haven't researched enough to say what it is but sounds sci-fi as well uh, and then we're going to be capping it off, obviously, with the Great Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, oh, which good. all three films were made under uh, the canon films. We're on our way to Chainsaw uh, Heaven, baby. That's right. Woo! <laughs> so we're going to be talking about all these, all those films with a special guest in two weeks' time. Beautiful. 
that being said, I think that will wrap it up for this week's episode. Uh, thanks so much for uh, listening, guys, and uh, keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. <laughs>